Father, we thank you for one more occasion, the side of eternity, to gather in your name to hear the word of the Lord. Your word is sharp and quick and powerful, and God, it does what no other agency can do. And your word tells us that your word will not return void, but it will accomplish the purpose whereunto it is sent. I ask you for something of which I'm not worthy. I ask you to give me an open door of utterance that I might speak with grace and truth this morning. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. We preached last Sunday about the power of and the attractiveness of the presence of God, the place of the presence. God wants us to know that there is nowhere you can go, no place you can uh, move to, but you can outrun the presence of God. In fact, the Bible said, though I build my nest among the stars, yet God is there. If I descend to the lowest elements, God is still there. He is everywhere I go. He is all, in all of my tomorrows. He's in all of my yesterdays. He's in my present right now. And He's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we are able to think of or to ask. The Apostle Paul was very busy in the Mediterranean basin, spreading the gospel and establishing churches. And the Bible said those two go hand in hand. Well, over in Acts 6, the Bible said, the Word of God grew mightily and prevailed, and the number of disciples multiplied. You see, when the Word of God grows, the fruit of the Word of God growing is the grace of God multiplies, and disciples multiply, people multiply. Greatest thing this church can do to build congregation is to lift up the Lord Jesus, do the work of ministry, show forth the praise unto Him who has called us out of the darkness into His marvelous light, which in times past were not a people, but now have become the people of God. Our text is in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We'll begin reading at verse 12. The Apostle Paul wrote these words, during very critical times in his life, it seems like that when he was at his most challenged, he rose to his highest heights. The Ephesian letter, the Roman letter, the Colossian letter, the Galatian letter, all are what we call prison epistles. They were written when uh, the Apostle Paul was in prison for preaching the gospel. He had several long stays in prison. One was in Rome, the other was in Ephesus, most Bible scholars agree. But he spent a lot of his latter days uh, in prison. But some of the greatest of his writing and the greatest of his, his instruction came when he was under severe persecution. Could I tell you that the church seems to me as if it does better when it's under pressure? It seems to me that people walk closer to God when they really need Him in their life. It seems like that people, the more the intensity of the opposition and the difficulty, the greater the anointing is to do what God wants you to do. And I want to tell you, it's not by power, nor by might, but it's by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. By the Spirit. The one thing we must remember, that you cannot accomplish carnal things uh, by spiritual means. Carnal goals, 
fleshly goals cannot be accomplished. And the opposite is true too. You can't uh, obtain spiritual things and spiritual goals with carnal means. Does that make any sense? One of the two just don't mix. In fact, the Bible says the carnal mind is enmity against God and is not subject to the laws of God, neither indeed can be. Is it possible to be a church member and be carnal? Let me go wheel and better that. It's easy to be a pastor and be carnal. Carnality is an attitude. It's an attitude that I can handle this job all by myself. It's as if I don't need God. It's like I am sufficient in myself. To get this done. Now, and Paul says, if anybody had a right to feel that way, I do. Pharisee of the Pharisees, Hebrew of the Hebrews. Oh, he was concerning the law. He said, I lack nothing. He was an up-and-coming influential person in Judaism, schooled at Dr. Gamaliel's feet. He one of the greatest instructors of all time about Judaism. And Paul was his student. And Paul said, I have studied by the greatest mind in the world about Judaism. There's nobody who knows any more about Judaism than me. And if anyone has a right to boast, he said, it would be me. But he said, God forbid that I should boast. And God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of the Lord Jesus. The one thing he said I can boast of is that I've been to Calvary. The one thing that I can boast of is I can say I've met the Lord. The one thing I can boast of is saying I've accepted the fact that he died for me. The one thing I can boast of is that I'm saved and a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away and all things are become new. I, God forbid that I should boast save in the glory and salvation through faith in Christ. And the Bible said he, when he gave his testimony to the Ephesians and was about to get on the boat and go to Rome to face what eventually was his death, he says, I know that ye shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, and I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. All the counsel of God. He said, and all of you among whom I have gone preaching, know that these hands have coveted no man's silver, but only the necessities of those that traveled with me. Paul was a very busy man, a missionary, a church planter. Everywhere he went, he preached and left disciples. Did you know they, they started springing up all over the known Roman Empire? And the Bible said, that he that hath stirred up the world hath come hither also. He was known as a person that made an impact on his world, made an impact upon his generation. And the skeptic said, he that has turned, that's it, turned the world upside down. He that hath turned the world upside down hath come hither also. In other words, now we've got to deal with this world turner upside down. Wow. I wish America had one of those. 
I wish Harvest could be one of those. I wish you could be one of those that turns the world upside down. I love to think that the church has within its grasp the power to make a change and make a difference. I believe that the effectual prayer of righteous people availeth much. I believe that the anointing of the Spirit of God enables us to do great things. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach, Troas was what for him? Home. It's where he came from. All of his friends were there. And why did he say, I, I came? I, I came to visit with you? I came to uh, uh, have a little bit of fellowship with you? Just came over here for y'all to hang out? No, he said, I came to preach. I came with one thing in mind, and that's to preach. In fact, the Bible said they went everywhere preaching the word. Every day, can you say every day? Every day, from house to house, they ceased not to preach and to teach Jesus Christ. They didn't talk about Judaism. They didn't talk about uh, Rome. They didn't talk about provincial uh, magistrates. No. They had one thing that was their message. They preached Christ and the resurrection. And the Bible said, they come hither also. Came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel. And a door was opened unto the, me of the Lord. And I had no rest in my spirit because I could not find Titus. Now he had gone on to Athens to try to find uh, Titus and Timothy. They were supposed to come on and met up with him and he couldn't find him. And he said, I have no rest in my, in, in my spirit because I found not Titus my brother. But taking my leave of them, I went from thence into Macedonia. Now thanks be to God. Thanks be to God, who always, I'm glad that always is in there, aren't you? Who always causes me to triumph and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. Notice the order of that statement. We are unto God a sweet savor. Did you bring your sweet savor with you this morning to the house of God? Are you going to carry your sweet savor back home to your house when you leave? Are you going to take your sweet savor into the restaurant you go for Sunday dinner? Are you going to have your sweet savor when the neighbor says, where you been? You say, I've been to church. Are you going to have your sweet savor with you? What is that sweet savor? It's what makes salt salty. It's what makes people have an influence. It's what makes people make a change in people's lives. It is that ingredient about Christ that attracts people to the person of the Lord Jesus. Every one of you have a savor. 
You've got a savor unto God. A savor unto God. We are unto God a sweet savor of Christ. Does your life testify of Christ? Does your attitude look like Jesus? Does your worship resemble Jesus? Are you following like a disciple would follow a mentor, the Lord Jesus? Unto God we are a sweet savor, a sweet savor of Christ. Listen, then next, who are we a sweet savor? And to them that are saved. Who is that? Probably sitting beside you. That's everybody around us, to them that are saved. Those people that are my brother and my sister in Christ, that are members of the body of Christ, part of the community of faith. People that have banded together and joined together to do the work of ministry in this world for the Lord Jesus. To occupy until He comes. So how are we doing with that? One my Lord's all I got out of you. How are we doing with that occupy till I come? And the things that you have seen in me do. How are we doing with that? Now, don't get quiet on me because there's a whole lot more. What about our sweet savor to one another? Does that person beside you or on the pew behind you or in the chair two, three rows down, how do they smell? Do they smell sweet or do they smell sour? What is the nuance around them? What is the attitude like around them? What is, when you get in their presence, do you enjoy their presence? Do you enjoy talking with them because their conversation is about God? Are you able, when you get around somebody that smells good, that's got Jesus, the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley, the rod of renown, the stem of Jesse, the plant that grew out of a dry ground. How do, how, how, how do you think Jesus smelled? He smelled pretty good, didn't he? He smelled pretty good. If you got Jesus in your life, how do you smell? Good. If you've got Jesus in your life, you smell good. You savor the things of the knowledge of the Lord. The things of God are all, all around you. Now, you got a choice. You got a choice. Like the prophet said, choose you this day whom you will serve. Moses drew a line and said, who is on the Lord's side? You got to make a choice. Got to make a choice. And let me tell you, just because you're a phenomenal Christian, that don't mean that you smell good. How many would you, would you like to say, I'd just like to have faith like Peter. I would, I would like to have a testimony like Peter. I would, I would really want to be a disciple like Peter. I'd sure like to walk on that water. I wish I was like Peter 
And they put sick people out on a hot Put people out on the sidewalk. And I walk down that sidewalk. And as my shadow touches them, they're healed. And they leap to their feet and straighten out palsied limbs and wipe the sweat out of blinded eyes and wipe the wax out of ears that were deaf that could not hear. And suddenly they're healed and made whole. I wish I could be a, 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 a disciple like Peter and do all those great things. Wow, have you heard his sermon on Pentecost? Man, he preached such a sermon that... 3,000 people got saved. But he's also the one that Jesus said, Thou savorest not the things of God, but the things that be of men. You've made a choice between the earthly and the heavenly, between the fleshly and the spiritual, You've made a choice, and right now, you're acting like somebody that doesn't even know the Lord. Hadn't Come on, somebody. Kind of like Rachel used to tell me when she was a kid. She'd say, well, Daddy, sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. Christians, we're like that. Sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. You ever shout? Sometimes I do. Most time I don't. You believe in Holy Spirit baptism? Sometimes I do. I want to tell you that when Jesus said to him, Thou savorest not the things of God. You don't have godly things going on in your life right now. Peter, you, you sure you do great things and you've been a great, a great influence, but right now the world's winning the battle with you, pal. How, how's that? Jesus said, I'm going to Jerusalem, and I'm going to get on that cross. They're going to deliver me into the hands of sinners. And, brother, it's going to be a bad thing. I'm going to be murdered when I get to Jerusalem. But I, it's got to be because from the foundation of the world, it was determined that I would be the sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. And I'm on my way to Jerusalem, and I'm going to die for the sins of the whole world. And Peter said, no, 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 you're not going to do that. And the Bible said this, and he took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Come on, somebody. Now, he was walking down the sidewalk a few minutes ago and folks getting up that was healed, and now then he's trying to keep Jesus from going to the cross and keep Jesus from going to Jerusalem and dying for the sins of the world. And Jesus said, get behind me. Woo. Thou savorest not the things of God. Brother, what Jesus was saying was, if you were where you need to be with God, you'd understand what I'm doing. You've been with me. Have I been with you so long and you still don't understand, Jesus said? Have I taught you and, and, and the villages and been with you and traveled with you and you've seen miracles and all of this? Have I been so long with you and still you don't know about the cross? Thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. We must be on our constant guard lest we allow the world to over, 
charge us with surfeiting and with drunkenness and with the cares of this life. Biggest enemy that faith has is the cares of this life. Toughest enemy that the Word of God faces is the cares of this life. Because it's so easy for us to get tangled up. Paul said, No soldier that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. Friends, you've got to get to the place where the things of God outnumber the things of men. You've got to get to the place where what God thinks means more to you than what somebody else thinks. You've got to get to the place that if you've got to make a choice, you choose to serve God instead of serving man. Got to get to the place that it's either all or nothing with God. You got to get to the place that it's total commitment. It's, it's everything you got. And that's when you will be a person that savorest the things that are of God. Have you got that aroma, that smell about you of a sold out, totally committed, sweet savor in the eyes of God? In Exodus chapter 30, this is not in your notes. Exodus chapter 30, the Bible talks about an anointing oil. I used to love to hear Brother Hughes preach about that anointing oil. That anointing oil was contained in a hen of oil. H-I-N was the container. And you know what? It contained six quarts of oil. Now, it was a special kind of oil. It was the best, purest, best oil that you could find anywhere. God said, find the best. Don't bring me anything that's not the best. Ananias said, I'm going to bring the best, but he didn't bring the best. Another sermon, another time. God said, I want you to make me, Aaron, Moses, I want you to make me an anointing oil. And he said, ye shall not ever compound any like it. Don't try to do something in the flesh that you need to depend upon the Spirit to do. Don't compound any like it. Don't try to make a look like, act like Pentecost. Don't try to hype up your own brand of spirituality. Don't try to concoct some way, some means to accomplish what the Holy Ghost does by your efforts yourself. You see, you'll be bad disappointed. And listen to this. He said, and don't ever pour it on the head of a stranger. Why? Because it'll start stinking. It smells good right now. But if you pour it on the head of a stranger, what, a, what would be a stranger? The Bible said when you're lost and done none without God, you're a stranger to the covenant of promise. You're lost having no hope and without God in the world. The Bible tells us 
not to pour it upon the head of a stranger because a stranger is what he calls those of the uncircumcision. They're the ones that don't have a covenant with God. They've never been saved. They've never been uh, made regenerated. They've never been born again. And he said, don't pour the anointing oil upon someone that does not know me. Come on, somebody. Boy, that's, that's strong stuff because we've, uh, we've been pretty guilty at times of pouring the anointing on some folks that didn't deserve it. There have been some folks we called anointed that we found out later they wasn't really anointed at all. And he said, don't you pour any of this anointing oil upon the head of a stranger. And don't compound any like it. It shall be holy and it shall be holy unto you throughout the generations. Wow. And it had certain weights to it. Each of the elements. It had cassia, 250 shekels, calamus, cinnamon, and aloes, and cassia. And all of those wonderful fragrant. Now, every one of them had to be obtained by one means. They had to dry them and then put them in a container of the apothecary and compound by grinding it up into powder. They had to crush it. So you can't get this anointing. You can't get this sweet savor unless there's a crushing. There's got to be a crushing. There's got to be a sanctification. There's got to be a time when the old man passes away and is ground up into powder. Amen. It's got to be a crushing. For you see, when Jesus got on that cross, the Bible said there was a sweet savor. Oh, hatamasikasha. There was a sweet savor. And the Bible said it went up to God. And God was well pleased with the sweet savor, the death of the Lord Jesus on the cross of Calvary. But let me tell you this. If I had got up on that cross, there would have been a stench that had, would go up from that cross like you've never smelled before. Why? Because that stench of sin would still be in my heart, still be in my life. And I want to tell you, sin stinks any way you put it. You can't put the, glory to God, the anointing of God and the fragrance of those great spices into something that stinks as bad as sin does. And you got to get rid of the sin. You got to grind it to powder. You got to crush it before you can have the sweet savor of the Spirit that ascends up to God. If I try to do it, it stinks. But when Jesus does it, Glory to God, it's a sweet savor. It's a sweet savor when Jesus does it. Now I want to tell you something. If you've never smelled spoiled, stale, putrid olive oil, don't ever open the lid of one of those things you think might. You've never smelled anything more pungent in your life. It stinks 
Debbie says, to the high heaven. And that's pretty bad stinking, I'll tell you. You know what I'm afraid of? I'm afraid of, in the church that we've got some stale olive oil that hasn't left the container in so long that it's got corrupted. And instead of a sweet savor, it's a sour, pungent smell of what we used to be and what we used to have and how we used to act and how we used to worship and what we used to do. The greatest tales we can tell now is how it used to be. I want to tell you, I'm sick and tired of how it used to be. I'm ready for God to do something now, aren't you? I'm tired of old stale bottles laying around, thrown over to the curbside, thrown away because it stunk so bad. We will never ever make a difference and make an influence in this world until we get to the place that our anointing oil is fresh. And our anointing oil does the work. Calamus and cinnamon and aloes, that smells great, but the oil, the oil has got to do the work. Is it Psalm 45 that says, All thy garments do smell of aloes and of cinnamon and cassia. Wow. What, what did... What did David mean by that? What he meant was a priest has just been anointed. All of thy garments do smell of cassia and calamus. You see, you, you pour a gallon and a half of oil on somebody. Brother, that's going to make a big change. And it, Can you see when they leave, that priest leaves the temple after he's just been anointed? Can you imagine him walking by down the street where he's just been anointed? He's just been into the Holy of Holies. He's just been in the presence. He's just offered the lamb for the sin in the life. He's just been in the holy place. He's just been in the presence of God. And he leaves there with that smell of that cinnamon and that cassia and that calamus and that myrrh. And he walks down the street and someone walks down and meets him on the street. And he stops and he says, Whoa, wonder where that guy's been. Sir, sir, where you been to be walking down the street smelling like that? Oh, I've been in the presence of God. I've been in the Holy of Holies. I've been back there in that place where it's smoky and it's hazy lest you see his face. I've been back in that place where there's an altar. I've been in that place where the blood is shed and is given for the sins of the people. Glory to God. I wish to God that people who know God like you know God would be so powerfully influential in this world that they'd look at you and say, Michelle, where in the world you been? Oh, I went to church last night and the anointing was moving. I went to church last night and the anointing touched my life and touched my heart. I heard the Word preached and I, I responded and said, God, that's for me and I want that and I'm going to take hold of that. Hey, 
If that person says, well, would you let me go with you next time you go? Because I sure do like whatever happened to you. See, that's what evangelism is. It's nothing but one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. That's what evangelism is. It's one-on-one, -on -one and it's heart-to-heart, -heart and soul-to-soul, -soul and person-to-person. -person. That's how this thing's going to spread. That's how God's going to touch people in these last days, is that folks dare to go out that door with the anointing of the Holy Ghost upon them, and they worship, and they work, and they serve in the beauty of holiness and in the power of the Spirit of God. Well, come on and give God some praise in this house. That was the whole deal with the children of Israel down in Egyptian bondage 400 years. But I imagine their oil stunk to the high heavens, Debbie, didn't it? 400 years their worship hadn't been out of the bottle. 400 years hadn't heard a word from God. 400 years. No Shekinah glory coming down. 400 years, no smoky presence in the Holy of Holies. 400 years of silence, biblically. Hadn't heard from God. Hadn't had a touch of God. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Talking about miserable people. People in bondage. People that didn't know how to serve. Didn't know how to worship. And you know what God said to Moses? said, Moses, you go down there and you tell Pharaoh that the God who created this world said, you let my people go. Let them go. Let my people go. In Leviticus 17 and 6, and the priest shall sprinkle the blood upon the altar of the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and burn the fat for a sweet savor unto the Lord. Exodus 29, 18. And thou shalt burn the whole ram upon the altar. It is a burnt offering unto the Lord. It is a sweet savor, an offering that is made by fire unto the Lord. You see, everything that we do, we need to... Be concerned, what does God think about this? What does God think about this? You see, in Ecclesiastes, is it chapter 10, verse 1? Ecclesiastes 10, 1. Dead flies. You don't need to let the flies gather up on top of your sweet savor. Sweet things will always draw flies. Dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. So doth a little folly him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. In other words... A person that's smart, got wisdom, knows God, knows the things that be of God, 
but to participate in a moment of frivolity or a moment of foolishness is like dead flies and the ointment. In other words, when a person acts in a way that his reputation doesn't agree, are you seeing that up there? That he's got a reputation? Hey, church, have you got a reputation? Church of God, have you got a reputation? Men and women of this church, do you have a reputation? Are you not afraid to have a reputation? What's that, pastor? A reputation that pleases God, that lifts up Jesus, that worships Jesus. And it's worthy. It's, it's not an unworthy thing. It's not a foolish thing. And something comes along that is so far beneath you. God doesn't want you to be foolish. God doesn't want you to fall for some foolish device that Satan would put in your way. God doesn't want you to lose out in communion and fellowship with His grace and His love. God wants you to be an overcomer. God wants you to live up to your reputation. You're a child of God. I said, you're a child of God. You're a victor in every battle. You're a conqueror, more than a conqueror, through Jesus Christ who loved you and gave Himself for you. You're an overcomer. you got a, a word and a testimony that you are a winner, not a loser, ahead and not the tail, above and not beneath. Hallelujah. In all things you win, you triumph because God has given you the victory through the Lord Jesus. Live up to your reputation. You see, what is the message of verse 2 up there? Put it up there for me, Cheryl. Being wise... A wise man's heart is at his right hand. But a fool's heart is at his left hand. The right hand in Scripture is the hand of strength and power and wisdom and authority and blessing. Might have known I'd have been left-handed. But I throw right-handed, so that's one thing. I eat left-handed, shoot a gun right-handed, kick a football right-handed. A man's heart is at his right hand, but a fool's heart is at his left hand because the left hand doesn't have the cunning that the right hand does if you're right-handed. What is that saying to us, Pastor? Act like who you are. Be who you are. Don't try to play games with people and play charades. Don't act like you got something you don't have. Don't act like you know something that you don't know. Don't act like that somebody else is going to be obligated to you if they know such and such about that's a That's a bunch of games that will do nothing but bring you disappointment and hurt and sorrow. Just be who you are. A wise person will just be who you are. And give God glory and praise for everything that good that happens to you. Amen. 
savor as it relates in Scripture is about character and reputation. I just wanted you to know that the attractiveness of the person and character of the Lord Jesus depends upon the witness of His people. The witness of His people. 1 John 2 and 20. An unction. An unction. You know what an unction is? It's a moving force. An anointing of the Holy Ghost from the Holy One, the abiding presence of the enabler, the comforter, the leader, the guide, the teacher, who is the Holy Spirit, is what makes ministry fruitful and awe-inspiring. But I'm afraid that we've placed far too great a premium on the things of this world. And the church is left with a battle to fight. A battle to fight. In Exodus 5, verse 1. Come on, Olivia. When Moses finally made it down to Egypt, Exodus 5, 1, and afterward Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. Hold a feast unto me. It's about tasting and smelling and seeing and observing. What were they saying? They were saying God's people want to worship. God's people want to do what they do when they get together and worship. They want to get together and offer sacrifices unto God. They want to get together and clap their hands and praise and worship the Lord. They want to come together and eat and be around the table of fellowship with one another. And he said, Pharaoh, let God's people go so that they can go out in the wilderness and do what they haven't done in 400 years. Let them worship. Let them worship. What were they saying? They were saying, we need to wash off this 400 years of sin. We need to get rid of this stink we've had on us for 400 years. We've been living down yonder in Egypt's bondage. We've been baking bricks and gathering straw and mud and trying to build sphinxes and build pyramids. And we're sick of doing that kind of thing. We're here to worship the Lord. And He's got His hand upon us. His promise is true. The covenant I have with God is faithful. And I just believe in God's going to bring us out. They said, let's go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh we've got a church meeting to go to. We've got a revival service to get into. We've got a move of the Holy Ghost that we need to get over and get into. And we can't make bricks today. And we can't do all that labor for you because we got to go to church. we got to get somewhere in the presence of God. And get rid of this stinking sin that's on our life. Oh, I would to God that God's people today would say, I want to be that sweet saver. I want that to go up to God. I want it to go up to people saved around me. And then the third group of people, he said, and to them that perish. And to them that perish. In other words, folks that don't know Jesus. Folks that are not saved. I wonder if people who are lost even know that the church is even here. I wonder if we're doing enough 
as a church to affect lost people. I wonder if we're lifting up Jesus enough. I wonder if we're doing the spiritual things enough that lost people. And I wonder what the savor is like that lost people smell. If I go by the headlines, it would tell me that most lost people think we stink pretty bad. Most lost people, when they talk about their church, they talk about it in a negative way. Although 70% in this country say they're Christian, only 12% go to church. What's wrong with that number? What's wrong with that number? 3,000 churches a year are closing. What's wrong with that number? What's, what's going on here? You see, if we're happy with just a form of godliness, if we're happy just meeting our one an hour and a half a week, if we're happy just sitting here, then how in the world are we going to make an impact on a lost world? How are we ever going to preach enough gospel that people will get convicted and come to a saving knowledge of Jesus? You see, when I was coming up, lost people went to church. Young people that had church mamas and daddies, they came to church. Used to have, in revivals, you wouldn't have to worry about a crowd, brother. You'd have a crowd, not much offering, but you'd have a good crowd. But it don't seem like lost people go to church anymore. What's wrong with the savor? What's wrong with the attractiveness? People used to say about the church, let's go down there to that, that place where they all preach. Let's go down there where they all preach. They would come to see, they would remain to seek. They would come out of curiosity, they would stay under a spell of conversion. Are we doing enough to reach lost people? To make lost people want to find in the church a great place to go when you're desperate and you need something from God. So before I say, God, do it again, I hear Him asking me, are you willing to pay the price? Are you willing to get this savor thing right? That it goes up to God, then it goes out to my brothers and sisters, and then it goes out to the world, to lost people that need to hear that Jesus saves and Jesus heals. Stand with me, please. You know what I'm convinced of this morning? I'm convinced that everyone in this house could win a soul to Jesus before next Sunday if you were dead sincere about it. Just one. Just one. Could you just win one soul in a week's time? 
nobody's going to answer me. Brother Jerry, I don't want to promise you now. I, I don't want to. I quit standing up that stink stuff. Get down to business and say, God, I'll truly try. I will truly try. I will do my best with your help and with the Holy Ghost going before me to convict hearts and lives and souls. I will do my very best to win a person to the Lord Jesus before next Sunday. Have we got a deal? Got a deal? Got a deal. That's the only way I know to put people in these chairs. Yes, there's a pandemic. Yes, there's a lot going on in the world. Yes, it's been a tough two and a half years. Yes, I know all about that. But souls are crying. Men are dying. When the lost at any cost go out and win. Rescue from sin. Days almost done. Low sinks the sun. Souls are crying, men are dying, when the lost at any cost. Check your fold, my Christian, are your children in? Are there yet some straying, lost in blackened fields of sin? You must go and reach them, go without delay. Soon the shades of night will end the day. Souls are crying, men are dying, when the lost at any cost. And I believe that's exactly what God is saying to us today. To be His hands extended. To be His voice. To have His heart. God, we sing so many times, if you can use anything, you can use me. We sing so many times, O oh Lord, to be used of God is my desire. We've preached it. We've sung it. But today, oh God, I feel that we're going to act upon it. I believe, oh Lord, this morning there are people that are sincere that said to me, Pastor, I'm going to do my best to win a soul this week. God, would you give them favor? Would you go with them and help them and open doors for conversation about Jesus? Give them, oh Lord, opportunities everywhere they go, everyone they meet, that the opportunity would provide a soul to be saved. And Lord, You said if we go forth bearing precious seed, we will doubtless come again rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. We love You. We praise You. We give You glory and honor. In Jesus' wonderful, powerful name, amen and amen.